Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Well, hello and welcome back to the podcast. Last week we wrapped up the book of Luke in the New Testament part of our BAC reading plan. We also touched on chapter 1 of, of Acts. And last week we we really focused on the power of the Holy Spirit. We see how Luke really emphasizes in both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts the power of the Spirit. Okay, the Gospel doesn't spread through the competence of man. It spreads through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see that throughout these books. Now, this week we're reading Acts chapters 2 through 6. And I want to talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. Specifically, I want to talk about what we know as Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Because there's a lot going on here. And without some background, I think it can be very easy to miss the significance of this event. I think we can easily just read over this and not see what's fully going on here. So in Acts chapter 2, it tells us when the day of Pentecost had arrived. Now, first of all, what is the day of Pentecost? Well, this is a Jewish holiday, and it's referred to by a couple different names in the Old Testament. You'll see it called the Festival of Weeks in Deuteronomy 16. It's also called the Festival of Harvest, in Exodus 23. All right, but then why is it called Pentecost in the New Testament? Well, Pentecost actually means 50th day. Okay, it comes 50 days, exactly 50 days, after another major Jewish holiday, what we know as Passover. Now, to make sense of all this, to make sense of of Pentecost and and Passover, what I want to do is I want to recap some Old Testament history. Okay, I want to put this in its Old Testament context. So if we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, remember that God chooses a man named Abram, later known as as Abraham, and God makes several very important promises to Abraham, including making his descendants numerous. Okay, And Abraham's descendants become the nation of, of Israel, later known as the Jewish people. And by the end of the book of Genesis, Abraham's descendants, the early Israelites, they end up in Egypt. They're fleeing a famine, so they end up in Egypt. And then the book of Genesis ends. Now, at the beginning of the book of Exodus, the Israelites have become very numerous. They've multiplied. They're still in Egypt, but now they've become a very numerous people. So numerous that the Pharaoh of Egypt becomes threatened by them. So what does he do? He enslaves the Israelites so he can control them. And the Israelites are in slavery for 400 years. And they begin to cry out to God. And God raises up a deliverer, Moses, to rescue them. And God performs many miracles through Moses, including the ten plagues, in order to get Egypt to release Israel. Now remember, the very last plague, the tenth plague, was that every firstborn in Egypt would be killed except in the houses that had applied the blood of lambs to their doorposts. So Israel obeys God. 
They put blood on their doorposts, the, the blood of sacrifices on their doorposts, and their households are spared. Their firstborns are spared. The angel of the Lord passes over the homes of the Israelites, hence the name Passover. But all the Egyptian firstborns are killed. And remember, this final plague is what ultimately causes Pharaoh to release the Israelites. This plague is what leads to, in a sense, the the salvation, the freedom of the Israelite people. And to commemorate this event, Israel was instructed to celebrate a festival each year known as Passover. They were supposed to remember how God had saved them, miraculously delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Okay, that's where Passover comes from. Then after Israel is released from bondage in Egypt, after they're set free from slavery, they go into the wilderness and they eventually come to Mount Sinai. And it's here at Mount Sinai that they enter into a covenant relationship with God. Remember, God gives them the law. He shows them, here's what it looks like to live under my rule. And he shows them how to live as a nation. Remember, they've been in slavery for 400 years. They don't know how to operate as a nation. So the the giving of the law is a monumental event for Israel. And guess what? It occurs 50 days after Passover. So 50 days after Passover, Israel is at Mount Sinai receiving the law from God. And they are entering into a covenant with him. And that event... The giving of the law is is marked by the festival of Pentecost. So now, if you remember, after Moses comes down from receiving the law on Mount Sinai, remember Moses had gone up the mountain, what does he find? He finds Israel is worshiping a golden calf that they forged out of their own jewelry. Which, by the way, how much effort did that take? Okay, this was something that they must have put a lot of thought into, a lot of effort into, because I don't even know how you would go about starting to make a golden calf just from jewelry, but apparently they were able to do it. So Moses comes down from the mountain, and he finds that Israel is already worshiping an idol. And God is angry. He judges Israel, and it says in Exodus 32 that 3,000 men fell dead that day. So on the very first Pentecost, 3,000 people are killed. Okay, 3,000 men are killed. Keep that in the back of your mind. Now, we fast forward to the New Testament, and Jesus, who is the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God, he is killed while the Passover lambs are being slaughtered for the Passover feast. He's the ultimate Passover lamb. He's killed during Passover. Then, of course, Jesus is resurrected, and he appears to people over a period of of 40 days. And then 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people. Now, why is that significant, based on, on what I just told you? Well, remember, in the Old Testament, 50 days after Passover, the Israelites receive the law, and they enter into a covenant with God. Now, in the New Testament, 50 days after Jesus is killed at Passover, the Holy Spirit comes and instead of giving God's people another external law, another law written on stone tablets, the Holy Spirit writes God's law on their hearts, on believers' hearts. Okay, so see the difference here. The original Passover, 
It saved Israel from their physical slavery to Egypt, but it didn't change their hearts. It didn't cause heart transformation. And we see clear evidence of that because during the the first Pentecost, as Moses is receiving the law from God, Israel is using their jewelry to make a golden calf to worship an idol, right? So they received an external law written on stone tablets, but it didn't change their hearts. But then we come to the New Testament, and Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Passover lamb. And he died to save us from our ultimate enemy, to save us from our bondage to sin and to evil and death. And on the Pentecost after Jesus' death, the Holy Spirit is poured out on believers to write God's law now on their hearts, not on stone tablets. Jesus' death His perfect sacrifice has enabled real transformation for us as believers. So here's how I think of it. The first Passover got Israel out of Egypt, right? The first Passover, Israel was rescued out of Egypt. The second Passover got Egypt out of God's people. You see the difference there? The first Passover got Israel out of Egypt. The second Passover got Egypt out of God's people. It caused a real heart transformation, real inner transformation. So understand that in the Old Testament, yes, the Holy Spirit was active. He was moving. But he didn't dwell permanently in in Old Testament saints in the same way that he does today, in the same way that he does after Pentecost. Now, since Pentecost, believers in Christ are permanently indwelled by God the Holy Spirit. After Jesus ascends into heaven, he sends his spirit on his followers to continue his work. And now all believers are permanently indwelled by God the Holy Spirit. So see the significance of this event. And see how many connections there are to the Old Testament. And speaking of, there are more connections. Remember how we said 3,000 men were killed for their idolatry on the first Pentecost? Well, after believers received the Holy Spirit... In Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and he delivers a sermon. And it was a good one because 3,000 people are saved that day. But don't miss the connection here. I think, again, sometimes we can just read over this and breeze over it. But remember that 3,000 people were killed during the first Pentecost. And now 3,000 people are saved during the Pentecost after Jesus' death. See how the New Testament fulfills all of these Old Testament events. Everywhere Israel falls short and fails, Jesus brings life and restoration. And along those lines, when the Spirit descends on believers, it says they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So notice, first of all, that Luke is stretching to find language as he describes the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says it was like flames of fire, like flames of fire. And the verse before says, it was a sound like that of a violent rushing wind. He's stretching for language, trying to figure out how to describe this. He's saying it's like this, it's like that. So what he's describing, this is not a natural event. This is beyond description. 
And we see language like this throughout scripture when the biblical writers are talking about visions of heaven and and talking about the future. Now, another side point I want to make here is that fire is often a sign of the presence of God. Okay, Acts 2 uses this phrase, flames of, of fire descending on believers. Well, think about the burning bush and the pillar of fire that guided Israel. Fire is often a sign of the presence of God. So God's presence descends on believers and they begin speaking different languages. Now understand that during a major Jewish holiday like Pentecost, Jews from all over the Mediterranean region, all over this part of the world would come to Jerusalem and the population of Jerusalem would actually double or triple during these times. So this is a happening time. Even before all of these events are going on, this is a hustling and and bustling city at this time. Okay, so you've got this very diverse group of people in Jerusalem at this time. And when the believers receive the Spirit, they start speaking in other languages, and this diverse crowd understands them. It says, how is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? The crowd knew that this group of, of disciples they were mainly men from, from Galilee. So how were they speaking all of these different languages and, and dialects? Well, the Spirit performs a miracle, and he unifies the crowd. Now, understand the significance of this. Remember, all the way back in Genesis 11, God had commanded mankind to multiply and fill the earth. But what do they do instead? They stay in one place, and they try to make a name for themselves. This is what we know as the Tower of Babel. So what does God do? He confuses their languages. The nations are separated. They're given different languages. And and this separation into different groups is part of what has led to so much division and, and war and violence throughout history. But here at Pentecost, we get a taste of the beginning of the reversal of Babel. The Spirit reunites people with a power that transcends languages and cultures and all of that. At Pentecost, we see the Tower of Babel starting to be reversed. God is creating for himself one new people. A people that is multi-ethnic, multi-lingual, multi-cultural. As Paul says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Everyone who believes in Christ is part of one family now. And this is also a partial fulfillment of Genesis 12. Remember, God promises Abraham that a worldwide blessing will come through his descendant, through Jesus. Abraham's line is going to bring a, a blessing to all nations. And at Pentecost, what do we see? We see a multitude of nations being included in the family of God, just like God promised Abraham. God is starting to bring to fulfillment his desire to redeem a people from all nations. Now, why do I share all of this with you? Well, I want us to see the interconnectedness of Scripture. Because I think sometimes that we have a tendency to think of the Bible like a a reference book, where when I need to know something about a specific topic, I'm going to look up this verse. Or when I'm feeling this way, I'm going to look up this verse over here. And I'm not saying that's always a bad thing to do. But scripture isn't primarily an encyclopedia or a dictionary or a how-to manual where you just look up answers. That's not what it is. 
It's first and foremost a story. It's a story of man's brokenness, but also God's fulfillment and redemption and love. Ultimately, it's a story of a God who loves his people, who loves all nations. And he pays the ultimate price to save his people from their own mistakes. So yes, study individual verses and words and and small pieces of scripture. Yes, do that. That is incredibly valuable. But don't forget to zoom out. To zoom out, to see the story of scripture. And understand there are certain parts of scripture where you might not always see a, a direct, immediate, practical takeaway. But it's all part of this broader story. All of scripture gives us a a story that together paints a portrait of a God whose love knows no bounds. A God whose beauty is beyond comprehension. And a God who wants to redeem people from all nations. All the people groups of the world. So read the Bible as a unified story pointing to and ultimately culminating in Jesus. Now there's one more point I want to make here. In Acts chapter 4, which we're also reading this week, Peter and John are arrested and they're brought in before the Jewish leadership. And I'm talking all the higher ups are here. Okay. You got the elders, the scribes, the high priest is here. Every, all the bigwigs are here. And it says, when they, meaning the Jewish leaders, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Uneducated and untrained men. Now, it's unlikely this means that they had no education whatsoever. Okay? It means they were not theologically trained. They were not formally trained and educated like the Jewish scribes and, and the bigwigs. They were just, quote-unquote, normal guys. So what made Peter and John different? They had the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And here's what I want you to see from this. First of all, I want you to see Scripture as a unified story, like we just talked about. And I want you to see that we all have a role to play in that story. We're all part of God's grand narrative to redeem people from all nations. Okay, It's not just pastors and missionaries and the quote-unquote professionals who are part of God's unfolding plan. We all have a role to play. Even Peter and John and the 12 disciples, they were just normal guys. They were untrained, uneducated men, but they turned the world upside down through the power of the Holy Spirit by relying on the Spirit's power in their lives. And you, you as a believer in Christ, you have that same Spirit. The same Spirit dwells inside of you. The same Spirit that indwelled Peter and John and the disciples, he now dwells inside of you. It doesn't matter if you don't have theological training or a Bible degree or formal education. God can use anyone who is fully surrendered to him. So we all get to be part of the greatest story ever told, a story that is still unfolding. Let's give our lives to that story. Let's give our lives to God's unfolding plan of redemption 
to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth for his glory. <laughs>